Music has a special way of touching our hearts in ways many things cannot. And if you're tuning into this podcast, you probably think so too. On each episode of Classical Post, we uncover a creative mind behind music we find particularly exceptional. Coming to you from New York, Classical Post is created and produced by Gold Sound Media, a marketing and PR agency for the performing arts industry. I'm your host, Jonathan Eifert, creative director at Gold Sound Media, and I hope you find something inspiring in this episode. As busy as composer Anna Klein is this season, fulfilling commissions for new works and serving as a resident artist with the Helsinki Philharmonic Orchestra, BBC Philharmonic, and the Symphony Orchestra of Castilla y León, music accounts for a fraction of her artistic inspiration. That's because the Grammy-nominated British composer thrives on incorporating many creative disciplines outside of music into her work. Reviewing a roster of her recent engagements, you'll find critically acclaimed collaborations with visual artist Josh Dorman, filmmaker Jill Bradley, and choreographers from London's Royal Ballet and the San Francisco Ballet. Klein's immersive approach to music making offers audiences new entry points for experiencing new music and understanding classical music's relationship to other branches of the arts. In this conversation, we discuss her ongoing partnership with the Orchestra of St. Luke's, how a Mark Rothko painting inspired her orchestral work, Colorfield, and the ways a lifelong love of literature is helping her to write an opera on the life of Emily Dickinson. Plus, Klein discusses her wellness practices, from drawing and Japanese calligraphy to long walks with her adopted pup, Penny the joy of ending a long day with Negroni, and her favorite place for classic steak frites in New York City. My name is Anna Klein, and I'm a composer, and I'm often embarking on new collaborative projects, so working with artists from other fields outside of music, like visual arts, dance, and film. If we talk about aesthetics outside of music, it sounds like you are well-prepared for this in terms of your line of work. Uh, but where do you find inspiration to create music? So outside of the actual music world? I find inspiration in lots of different other art forms. Perhaps the most common are art and literature. So, for example, at the moment, I'm immersing myself in the world of Emily Dickinson and her poetry in preparation for an opera, which I'm really excited about. It explores her vivid imagination and her blazing art. So it's a, a treasure trove of inspiration there. But I'm also often inspired by art. So one of my favorite pastimes is to go to a gallery and wander around either to sort of take my mind off what I'm composing or to find inspiration for something that I'm composing. So those two art forms really are great sources of inspiration for me. If you think about um, some of the other creative sectors, if you will, like architecture, fashion, film, do any of those particularly or, you know, occasionally inspire you? Absolutely. I am really drawn to abstract films. So, for example, I've been working a lot with the artist Jill Bradley, who, who creates these massive sculptures, but through her film captures how the light interacts them. So you get the minutiae of the large scale works through film. So that's been really interesting to create film scores for that. Um, in terms of architecture, that's a really interesting question. Of, often I'll think about where the music's going to be performed. So that could influence the nature of a piece. So if it's a more intimate piece, I might write a chamber piece of music that, um, or if it's in a very reverberant space, that, that like a Gothic cathedral or something like that, that might inspire the sort of sonorities I might explore in the composition itself. 
Describe a routine you have in place that helps you live a healthier life. I am from England, as you can probably hear, but I live in New York. And I recently actually moved away from the city up to the Hudson Valley. And I found that to be a really wonderful environment to be a composer, to have um, more space, more peace and quiet. So in terms of wellness, of lifestyle, that's been really wonderful. Um, also, during the pandemic, we adopted a sweet little puppy called Penny. So I find taking her for walks to be incredibly um, sort of meditative in a, in a way to go and walk on the property and on local rail trails. I find that to be uh, to be out in the fresh air and getting a good walk and enjoying when the sun is shining to be great. Um, but I also find the process of composing is very meditative in a way. So it's one of the only times that I'm, I'm really hyper-focused on one thing. And I think that's probably similar for musicians when they're practicing or artists when they're creating art. So I do try and find other sort of rituals in the day that are, have that similar meditative quality, but aren't music. So during the pandemic, I've been taking drawing classes and also Japanese calligraphy classes. And so in the morning, I'll try and do some form of drawing or Japanese calligraphy, which it's not just about the calligraphy, but about posture, about the gesture. And it's very sort of focuses the mind in a very peaceful and meditative way. So I find both my environment and having those practices really help to have a richer, more peaceful state of mind. The Japanese calligraphy, that's really fascinating. Are you, do you like frame the work that you create or, or is it, do you do it for friends or, or how does that work? I just do it as a sort of a meditative practice. So you really focus on the gesture. And so for one character that you might do it sort of 20 times. So it's not so much about having the finished product as going through the repetitive motion and with each uh, attempt at it to try and capture the more the movement of the brush and how the lines intersect. But that's that's an interesting idea. Maybe I should share them with other people because they're very beautiful. So they almost look like pieces of art, but they have obviously a natural meaning as well. They are all different words and have different uh, very specific meaning. I think it would be brilliant. I mean, obviously this is just like a side note, but um, I could just imagine you selling these alongside other things on your website type of thing, you know? And it's like, because I remember, you know, the, the pianist Stephen Huff, he's really into painting, I believe, if I recall correctly. And I'm not sure if he sells his paintings or not. I, I forget that bit, but I know he's very much into it. And I believe they're on his website too, interestingly enough. Oh, okay. Yeah. Perhaps I need to start a merch section of my website. <laughs> it could be relevant. I don't know. But, but literally, I, Stephen Huff comes to mind and it's interesting. He's another um, fellow Brit, I guess. What is one specific product you highly recommend? Well, I think one of the challenges as a composer is time management. So I have two hourglasses. I actually have one here that I can show you. And one is a five minute timer and one is a 30 minute timer. And if I'm sort of, if I have a writer's block or I really need to focus, I'll set that short period of time to really focus on that um, one thing. It could be a harmonic progression or a melodic idea I'm exploring, but rather than setting a, you know, a, a stopwatch on my phone, which feels sort of alarming to have something that's natural, the sand passing through the glass is a really nice marker for time. So I really love having those. Um, but at, at the end of the day, I guess it's not really a product, but I do like a Negroni. I like a cocktail to end my day. I like that. 
and taking inspo from the Italians, right? With the Negroni. <laughs> do you ever do the um, spagliato that's become trendy with the uh, Prosecco instead of gin? Oh, I haven't tried that. I'll have to give it a go. Yeah, it's it's become popular, at least in the U.S., where you instead of doing gin for a Negroni, you swap it out with Prosecco. So it's lighter. It's not as like, you know, robust as a typical Negroni. I personally just like the regular Negronis like you, but I know some people like to swap it out for Prosecco. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll have to try that. Thank you. What restaurant or bar do you love to eat at when you're in New York City? And then obviously, what do you order there? Oh, sure. So when I first moved to New York 20 years ago, I lived on Pacific Street, which is in the area of Cobble Hill in Brooklyn. And my go-to restaurant even now is Bar Tabac. It's a French restaurant on Smith Street. And it's just got a great atmosphere. The food's fantastic. The drinks are great. And, and at the weekend, they have live jazz as well. So you can have a nice boozy brunch with uh, live music. But my go-to evening meal there is just a straight up steak frite. It's really good. Um, but in terms of bars, I would hop over the bridge to the West Village. There's a wonderful cocktail bar called Up and Up, and they have all kinds of interesting concoctions. But my uh, my favorite go-to drink is Amongst the Gnomes. And it's it's kind of got a British spin on it. It's Pims with gin and I think it's got some honey and lime juice and jalapeno, and they put a big wadge of herbs in it too, so you get the aroma on the nose. So in terms of cocktail bars, that's my my go-to place is up and up. I love that. I got to try that. I, I love going to the West Village. So I, I need to look that one up. Let's pause for a second. Are you an artist or work at an arts organization? I founded Gold Sound Media to help you expand your audience through social media. My team and I work closely with clients around the United States, directly shaping their messaging through customized strategic content. One of our biggest success stories is our work for the Clyburn, where we drove 25 million viewers, making it one of the most watched classical music events of all time. Get in touch to speak with me directly about how Gold Sound Media can help you. Just head to goldsoundmedia.com. Now back to the show. Tell us about your work with Orchestra of St. Luke's. I know I'm really curious to hear more about the interdisciplinary work in the visual arts, specifically including color field inspired by the artwork of Mark Rothko. So could you elaborate on that whole project? Yeah, so I'm really um, honored and delighted to have had an ongoing relationship with the Orchestra of St. Luke's. And there's been several different elements to it. One is as a mentor, as a composer mentor for the Degatano Composition Institute. And it's a program for three emerging composers to write for the orchestra. And I mentor them via Zoom. And we all meet together in New York City in the summer and they workshop their pieces with the orchestra and they get lots of feedback. And then we culminate with a performance of their works. So there's that, but also I've been writing music for the orchestra and during the pandemic, the Orchestra of St. Luke's were real trailblazers in terms of online content. I know during the pandemic, we all, we all had to sort of shift gears and 
reevaluate how we present material. But I was really fortunate that they commissioned two works from me. One is called Strange Loops, which was for clarinet and string quintet. And the second was a piece called Woman Holding a Balance, which is a collaboration with Jill Bradley, the London-based artist. So that's been been really great. And we have, during the pandemic, we had a program called Visionary Sounds. So it included music by myself and Steve Reich and Bach, who are two influences for my music. And we'll actually be doing an in-person version of that concert in March this year. So Jill, with Jill Bradley and also another artist that I love to work with called Josh Dorman, who's created these beautiful animations to my music. So we'll be presenting that live music with their films, which is very exciting. A Color Field, which is an orchestral work. It's a piece in three movements. And as you mentioned, it's inspired by the American artist Mark Rothko. And it's actually inspired by a very specific painting called Orange, Red, Yellow. It's a piece he created in 1961. And it's a massive canvas. It's predominantly orange, but it's framed with some red and yellow. And my experience of looking at it is like the, the colors are vibrating off the canvas. So I thought, I wonder how I could translate that into music. So that was the challenge I posed myself with color fields. So the music is in three movements, which is yellow, red, orange. And each one explores how that color can be evoked through music. It's sort of a a similar process to synesthesia where some people see a color and they hear a sound or they hear a sound and see a color. So exploring that relationship between the visual and, and music. Specifically, Mark Rothko, was it you the one who went and chose that artist specifically or was it the orchestra? How did that kind of relationship form in terms of, you know, really focusing on Rothko's work? I was fortunate that they gave me an open canvas. It was a piece that was actually a lady wrote, uh, commissioned to honor a dear friend of hers and her friend loves the color orange. So actually the color was my point of departure and to try and find something to inspire the music. I then thought of that experience with the orange painting. So it was to make it a link also to the, the honoree of the work. But it's something that I'm often inspired by is, is art in music. And I have another orchestral piece called Abstractions, which is inspired by five contemporary artworks as well. That's really fascinating. I, I mean, I always love when musicians, composers are fusing their craft with other art forms outside of the music world, as you can kind of tell from my line of questioning. And, and so when I heard that you were doing this, it's, it really piques my interest. Do you have other kind of plans to do similar type work with, you know, other organizations, other orchestras where you're writing and, and kind of drawing on art forms like Rothko or other artists? Well, definitely with the opera for Emily Dickinson, really getting inside her imagination and trying to bring her poetry to life and her life to life with the, with the music. But I am doing a lot of work with choreographers at the moment. So just um, thinking about what you were talking about with interdis interdisciplinary work. So this week, in fact, is a new piece with the Royal Ballet in London with choreography by Pam Tanowitz. And a couple of weeks ago, a piece with the San Francisco Ballet, which set my cello concerto to dance. So I love seeing how choreographers interpret my music, but it's even more exciting when I'm collaborating with a choreographer to create the music and the dance at the same time. So looking forward, I'm looking forward to doing more of that kind of work. Last question for you, and it's about success. I know it's personal for everyone. Everyone that I ask this kind of takes it in different directions. So I'm really curious what you have to say about that. What does success mean to you? That's a, that's a great and, and difficult question at the same time. But <laughs> I think for me, it's about reaching 
or audiences. My role as a composer is to create something that's as beautiful as I can and to share that with other people. And I'm really fortunate and grateful that my music performed all over the world and people come back with feedback that if there's a piece they've heard that that's been very moving for them, then I feel that I've been successful in, in sharing something with the, with the world. And that's a very humbling feeling. Thank you for listening to this episode of Classical Post. If you loved it, give us a five-star review as it helps us reach more people. Also, remember to hit that follow button in your podcast app to get notified of new episodes. Thank you.